There is extraordinary appetite in the private markets to fund local initiatives. People know that local is something worth paying for and that people pay attention. Politics is local. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Monday, November 20th, which means it's Media Monday. Today, John Kelly and I talk about all the media parties going on lately and what insiders are saying about David Zasloff as they sip cocktails and munch on past apps. We also talk about the hastening demise of local newspapers around the country and what, if anything, can be done to stop it. We'll discuss all that and much, much more on today's episode of Powers That Be. Happy Monday, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving week. If it's Monday, it's Media Monday. I'm joined, of course, by John Kelly. John, happy Thanksgiving week. Are you a, uh, what are you most excited about eating on Thursday? You know, um, Rebecca's vegetarian, so Thanksgiving is, is mm-hmm. always like uh, a, a little vegetable heavy in our world. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a normal guy, Peter. We'll be up in Vermont. Uh, it's going to be a small little Ooh, little family affair. Sounds cozy. Uh, how about you? Are you going down to uh, to Newport to see Katie's family, or are you going to go to please, Virginia? Please, What's on tap? Please do not confuse Newport and the South Bay. She's Excuse from Manhattan me. Beach, my friend. Very different. Very different. Um, we are going to Katie's parents' house, yes. Easier trip. Much easier trip. So it'll be a relaxing day. It'll be a relaxing day. Speaking of Katie, by the way, it was great to see you and Katie on Monday. We were uh, we were together at long last. It had been uh, it had been weeks since I last <laughs> seen you in D.C. Um, when you interviewed Ron Klain, we were at Matt's event, Matt's leg of the Powers That Be live tour to see him interview Bell Bajaria. It was a fabulous event, I thought. Um, yeah, on the rooftop of the Mandarin Oriental in Beverly Hills. Great crowd, lots of studio heads, lots of producers. Lots of very important entertainment people. Um, Matt was awesome on his game. Bella gave him a uh, a gourmet cheeseburger, either stuffed animal for his son <laughs> or like dog chew toy. Matt's got a dog. Um, but what wh- what did you think, Peter? Do you have a nice time? I had a great time. Um, you know, it was different from the for the DC event I did with with Ron Klain uh, in part because I like know so many people in DC. And then I come, you know, despite living in LA, like this is Matt's world. Like he knows everybody they know him it was pretty clear that him and bella have a good rapport i can't share anything with you listeners it's off the was, record of course buddy. off the record but it was great you know good vibe good cocktails saw a few old friends it's always good to see the puck crew in la and you know i rarely plant my flag in beverly hills so it was nice to go to a fancy event in beverly hills on a monday evening that's for sure speaking of fancy events maybe not as fancy uh because book parties happen all the time i feel like in our little media world you were at a book party in new york city for brian stelter brian has a new book that came out this week called network of lies the epic saga of fox news donald trump and the battle for american democracy you went to a book party celebrating this release and you know, it sounds like there are a bunch of media muckety mucks there, and I'm told uh, this was the same day that the two David Zaslov features dropped <laughs> yeah. in the New York Times. Was everyone at the party? You know, aside from talking about Brian and Fox News, were, were people gossiping about Zaz at this fancy New York media party you were at? 
Well, it was funny. I mean, I, I have to admit, uh, I've gone to more book parties as, as listeners to this show uh, know in the last like two months I think, than I have in the last you know ten years. But the timing was serendipitous and sort of fun and funny. And I wrote about this a bit in the backstory. It was Wednesday. It was at Michael's, uh, which I had not walked into in Ooh. years. Uh, delightful to know, by the way, that Michael's at six o'clock on a Wednesday pre-Thanksgiving week was entirely crowded. I mean, the, the dining room was more than two-thirds full. And uh, yes, the B- Brian's party itself was a fresco of uh, of the sort of <laughs> the Zazplex brought to life. You know, these two pieces came out that day. And actually, it was funny breaking the fourth wall constantly, right? There was this long piece that, that Jim Stewart and Ben Mullen and John Mahler wrote that sort of, I think, cribbed a lot of Matt and Dylan's and Bill's work over the last number of months. Sorry, but that's just the truth. And, and added the kind of narrative flourishes that, that Jake Silverstein and Bill Wasik bring in. I, I have to tell you, Peter, I laughed. Knowing all the principles here, I laughed a few times reading that story. Just just imagining the moments when the editors yanked the pen away, so to speak, from the the reporters um, with, with some of their more sort of uh, purplish prose moments. There was some ancient John regime sentence where I just thought, oh my God, there's, there's no way that Stewart or or Ben or, or Mahler wrote this, you know, and, and there, there were a number of those moments where I feel like there was a, a bit of kind of Oberlin Wesleyan influence on, on the on the Hollywood na- narrative here. But anyway, yes, the, the gang was all out. I had a great time with Dave Levy, who's, you know, was one of the quadrumvirates at CNN, who was um, long yeah. times as uh, executive uh, flack man. What's um, he like? I mean, uh, my Fox friends. Are, oh, he's my, awesome. I love him. Love him. He, uh, yeah, my a friends homie. at CNN, like he he was after my time at CNN, but um, you know he, my friends at CNN seemed to really like him. Great guy, uh, I think he worked in the Clinton White House. Uh, Dave's probably a couple years older than we are, maybe more than a couple, and just affable, uh, great great dude. I've gotten to know him well, and think he's a super guy. Nathaniel Brown was there, one of the others as PR guys. Obviously, Brian, who was mentioned in one of these, you know, extensively in one of the pieces, was there. Jeff Zucker and Allison Gallus were there. I talked to Ellen Pollock, who you know is the Sunday business editor who had worked on at least one of these pieces to, to get her sort of readout on on it. Um, it. It was fun. Jim Stewart himself was there too. Um, and and I, you know, in the thirty seconds that I talked to him, was saying, "Oh my God, all my all my characters are here." So it was it was very funny and probably uh, a reflection too of how. Um, small this world actually is at the end of the day too i mean it's it's uh, boy boy. going to a new york book party it's like the (laughs) same i know it's like walking to the dinosaur room it's like that in washington it's it's definitely like that in washington i guarantee you i have a question though peter hamby wants to know hamby in the front row please this uh yeah thank you thank you teach (laughs) the cnn piece uh, about zaslov and his yes involvement in cnn was you know premised on uh, his relationships and management of certain relationships at CNN, and, and they became fraught in many cases. They cited his relationship with Brian Stelter among them. Uh, but you were Jeff Zucker is like the the headline thing here. Like you were in the room with him right after the story dropped. I mean, did he? Did uh, you know? Without betraying the oh, I, sort I of chit chat confines of a party, did he talk about no, it? I- I didn't. I talked to him for thirty seconds. Um, congratulated him on a on a deal that he just did at Redbird. Mm. Said hello and left. No, I, I'm. Um, I aim to not be tacky, but I also don't think he wants to talk about it. And I, I think everyone wanted to be here to support Brian. Like Brian has some haters in the world. We know that, but there's no denying the fact that they totally treated him like garbage unnecessarily. And I think that there is, or I know that there is. I should say, I know firsthand that there is a. Um, there has been a lo-fi charm offensive that's been going on for months, I think, to try and from, you know, beamed out from the Zazplex um, at Park Avenue South to try and let people at CNN know that 
they recognize mistakes were made. Um, they've they've certainly tried to let Jeff Zucker know that they regretted a lot about how that went down. I'm sure that mm-hmm. there, uh, there's also, I mean, the, the, the sheer presence of Nathaniel and Levy alone, I think, uh, represents that as well. What's past is past is true. I mean, for those listening who read the, the, the smaller time story about the sort of three firings that Zaz was involved in at CNN, Licked, Lemon, Brian, part of this is life. Like, obviously, Licked had to go... It was a disaster. Uh, I think that the, the Lemon era had run his course. He, he was he was the star. You know, he was the sort of James Harden of um, of CNN at that point. You know, he was he was an unquestionably a star. Big bad culture fit, and um, you know, a, a sort of declining CNN couldn't give him what he wanted, and it, it had to happen. They had to let him go, and then and then uh, you know, it seems like Brian was uh, you know. At the time, it seemed like a, a sort of sacrifice at the John Malone altar. It still comes across that way as well. And I'm sure people will, will harbor negative feelings for a long time. But if you get to Zaz's level, part of uh, the reality is you do have to let people go, even when they're your friends. It's brutal. It stinks. But that's that's life, amigo. Man, getting fired is the equivalent of getting traded to the Clippers and vice versa, I guess. <laughs> uh, speaking of James Harden, that's a, that was a yeah. my little... That was an interesting analogy you just made. So, John, yeah, Dylan and I did a podcast going deep on on the Zaslov stories. Uh, people should go listen to it from the other day. But what was the read in the room on these on these pieces? Well, you guys had a great conversation, and Dylan's story was actually like coming out at, at this party, so it was fun to to sort of be there to to <laughs> behold that because I, I think the, the the Venn diagram they of all must of this read party, Dylan. They must read Dylan obsessively in that room. Oh, they all they all do. No, they. I mean, what I love about these environments, and and not that this is completely uh, suggestive of, of life, but like. This, the, the puck saturation in a room like that is 100%, and they, and they refer to, to all of our partners by their by their first name. And so Dylan said this, Matt said that, Bill said this, you know, um, et cetera. And I think a lot of people felt like they knew a lot of this information. I think that there is a, a, a belief that, that Zaz has gotten half of the dynamic right, but the other half really not right. He's, he's done the, the debt servicing piece incredibly well. That is the, the brutal, awful, hard mm-hmm. part. The other part is the, um, you know, let's call that the numerator, the denominator is the, the EBITDA part, the revenue part. Um, and that's been a lot harder. And, you know, I think that there's a challenge in media of growing while you cut. And, you know, one of the tropes is cut to grow, you know, which I think I actually remember hearing a lot of the CNN executives saying for a long time, the lick was cutting to grow. Guess what? I've spent a career in this business. It's very hard to do that. And I think that there's a, a feeling that the, the, the narrative at the moment is not on his side, but where I think I de- de- deviate a little bit from the, the popular opinion here is that Zaz is a, a remarkably empowered media chief executive. He has the full faith of his board, Malone, the new houses, to the extent that I understand it, and that he's in the sort of turbulence phase of a longer mission, which is merging these two companies, integrating them and then finding another company, and then doing this all over again. But at that point, the numerator and denominator should fit together better. There will be a more stable debt picture, but there'll be a lot more revenue, so the leverage won't be as significant. And of course, the truth, Peter, which I think was uh, was easily decipherable in that room, uh, and it's, it is the truth, is that no one knows shit. You know, Zaz is in uncharted territory here. He's doing stuff that has not been done before. Hollywood is in a completely new phase of um, uh, of the business cycle, and uh, and he's out there, and um, he's he's got a vision, and he's not afraid to crack some eggs along the way. 
Well, if WBD is cutting to grow, I think the uh, hedge funds out there when it comes to local news are cutting to shrink. And I want to talk about that when we come back after the break about the newspapers that keep disappearing in local markets around the country. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Powers That Be, everybody. It's Media Monday. I'm joined, of course, by John Kelly. Uh, John, our friend Sarah Fisher posted Mm -hmm. a story last week, uh, headlined, one-third of U.S. newspapers as of 2005 will be gone by 2024. And this is is a lead. The decline of local newspapers accelerated so rapidly in 2023 that analysts now believe the U.S. will have lost one-third of its newspapers it had in 2005. By the end of next year, rather than in 2025, as originally predicted, there there are about 6,000 newspapers left in this country. In 2005, there were almost 9,000. You know, there's so much ink has been spilt. You know, no pun intended there uh, on the death of local news and news deserts. And usually, by the way, like a lot of this stuff is coming from like reporters who are like tweeting like subscribe to your local newspapers save local newspapers like that's like a futile kind of thing to say i mean like solving this problem will require some innovation uh lots of investment uh, some big ideas and some big donor money i think you know we can talk about the reasons why i I think that those have been hashed over for two decades now but do you have any ideas like there there is a lot of money out there like there are a lot of people thinking about how to fix this problem and get local news going again, even if like Gannett is not going to be the one to do it. Yeah. You know, one, um, one silver lining in this story and, and Sarah man did it as a disclosure, not as a humble brag is that the future of Axios actually is local. You know, I think that they um, did an inverted pyramid where they, they created a national brand and then they uh, went to local markets. I think that the update in that story was that the, the, they've entered their 30th market, which is San Diego. And, and I think that they, I think Axios has kind of figured out that the unit of news has changed. You know, the, there's no question that the old world was not sustainable. A local newspaper, you had a, and I'm thinking about this, this ABC show, that the Hillary Swank show that, that Gabe Sherman worked on, um, where she, she's a reporter at a local paper. Um, that doesn't work anymore. You know, local newsroom, 30 people. Uh, Alaska Daily. I haven't even heard of this show. I just looked it up while you were talking. <laughs> there you go, man. Yeah, there you go. So um, I'm sure you, you you missed it during the strike. It's a good time to catch up now on Hulu. That doesn't work anymore. You know, 30 reporters, 10-person business staff, office space, distribution, printing press. Like, that's too complicated. And that's never going to work. And we saw... Just not, you know, in, in the future. And we saw a lot of these um, mid-market papers being acquired for their real estate assets. You know, um, yeah, yeah. companies like Alden came in and, you know, there, there's a lot of sentiment around this. So I want to be careful, but I will remind people, we, we chose capitalism. And if these assets are comprised of value from, you know, from entities like real estate, that's going to be what they're bought for and what trades. And so what's tragic is that you have all these news deserts, but they, I think they are being repopulated in much smaller ways. And, and Axios is a leading example of you know figuring out, hey, we don't need a whole, we can't afford, it's not sustainable to build a whole newsroom. But what we can do is have a bunch of smaller, self-sufficient media organizations within these markets, maybe focusing on, on a certain niche or segment. What I will say is this, though, there is extraordinary 
appetite in the private markets to fund local initiatives. People know that local is something worth paying for and that people pay attention. Politics is local. I can tell you in my hometown of Montclair, we have the Montclair Local, which is, you know, it has a board stacked with like New York Times people and ProPublica people, mm-hmm. you know, the sort of media town. And the print paper went away and they're trying to figure out a vision for a digital version that exists on. And by the way, like with the board that this has, if it'd be embarrassing if they can't figure it out. But there's no question that this is exactly the sort of affinity-based publishing that has a paradigm moving forward. The challenge, and this has been a huge challenge, is I think the people who believe in this business and, and, and who practice this business the most have a hard time getting past a lot of the um, the structures of that old world. Newsrooms is a, a phrase we use a lot. The newsroom is a concept that is going away, particularly in local. And I don't mean that in a sacrilegious way. Again, please don't at me. I'm not trying to, to, to denigrate the profession in any way at all, obviously. But journalism is going to be conducted differently and distributed differently. And I think the, the first wave of that change is going to be seen at the local level, and it's going to require entrepreneurship and risk, which, of course, has been the the thing that's been missing from the equation. You know, uh, local news organizations were the most risk averse. And mm-hmm. uh, it's one of the reasons why they were so vulnerable when the tide uh, came out. Yeah, I uh, have a friend who, man, years ago at this point was sort of it was floated to him like a job idea that he was at CBS at the time and he would basically like help all of CBS television's local affiliates, like we're talking like over 200 affiliate stations and owned and operated stations all over the country, update their websites and their digital presence and like try to innovate around WANF in Atlanta and make their website more uh, appealing to the mobile audience, younger audiences, etc. And, you know, we're talking about local TV here and this isn't lo- local papers, but like that world is so averse to innovation and like breaking things and like, trying to figure new stuff out, you know, like the local TV networks and like medium to small markets, like they have their numbers they got to hit. They got their station managers reporting up the chain. It's just like very, very hard to innovate. And like the same thing is true for the papers. I mean, I subscribe to a few local papers. I subscribe to the LA Times here. I subscribe to the Richmond Times-Dispatch in my hometown. Um, a lot of these places are paywalled. And look, if you are a uh, sort of average consumer of information out there, you are not paying for news, right? Like news is for college educated people with money to spend at this point. And so, you know, if you put up a paywall, you are unfortunately like cutting yourself off from a lot of people. And like we see sort of see some cranky tweets every now and then about Puck where it's like, oh, it's paywalled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, that's the point, man. But people don't yeah. necessarily understand that. But, you know, the other thing I, I should note is, you know, another area that feels not, I wouldn't say healthy, but where there's opportunity is public radio. It's a vibrant down here where I am in LA, like LAist and, and Southern California public radio. I mean, I listen to KPCC all the time. They've got reporters out there breaking news, like doing enterprise stuff. Um, they are trying to become more distributed. You know, I'm not saying that like public radio in El Paso is is <laughs> just as vibrant, but like, you know, if you listen to the the flagship NPR All Things Considered or Morning Edition every day, 
you know, they're frequently pulling in stories from yeah. Mobile, Alabama and Cincinnati and Des Moines and, and Sacramento. And like that audio is actually like a place where <laughs> they might be the, the like the last bastion like defending the castle honestly like i i everywhere i go everywhere you go on a road trip whatever in the u.s like you can turn on npr and that seems like even as local newspapers are dying like i'm, I'm hopeful that public radio is still afloat i have to assume that everything that the culture wants will be figured out and offered back to it and you know i think we talk about this a lot internally at puck that you know we've been described as offering sort of a, a, a magazine like touch and feel in certain ways uh, which i agree with in some cases and disagree with in others but i think it's at least it's at least fair that if you liked the experience of, of what lush great journalism with a lot of attention to detail and design and in-depth reporting in in certain industries meant in its heyday in the late 90s early 2000s Nobody asked for that to go away. The business model went away. And that's what happened in local news, too. No one wanted less local news. In fact, I think we want it more now than mm-hmm. ever. The um, most trusted the news model, source out there. <laughs> right, <laughs> outside the PPC, right? I mean, yeah. it, it's um, it, it, but the model went away. And a lot of people were pissed for a long time and still are. And that frustration, I think, has prevented you know innovators from figuring out what the new model is going to look like. And it's perhaps blinded some people from realizing that... Y- you got to start small in the new model and you have to figure it out. And and I assume there's going to be a tapestry one day uh, or a platform of smaller, independent, local and affinity driven news organizations that almost have like their version of Shopify, Peter. If you're covering Texas high school sports or covering San Antonio local politics, these Industries are going to be, or these businesses are going to be starting organically on their own. And um, I think there's there's a wave of investment ready to sweep them all up and figure out how to populate them, almost like a much bigger version of what The Athletic did with local sports writing. Mm. And that's going to be the future of how we consume things. No one's figured out the model yet, uh, and no one's done it yet, so it seems like an impossible nut to crack. But I don't think it is, and I also believe that uh, Mike and Jim are very, very smart guys over at Axios, and they are interested in this, uh, and Cox is interested in this. Uh, It just suggests to me that um, they see uh, not just an important and rewarding sort of societal, cultural play, but but a financial one, too. One more nugget from Sarah's piece. Roughly half of all U.S. counties, 1,562, are now only served with one remaining local news source, typically a weekly newspaper. And also one more little hobby horse before we log off here, John. Every time another newspaper shutters or a hedge fund comes in or there's layoffs, um, you see like typically journalists on Twitter sort of posting about how like blaming social media platforms for killing these news organizations. Look, you can accuse uh, like you know, meta and, and of like <laughs> helping these places bleed out. No one talks about the original assassin here, which was, and it's not sexy. It was Craigslist. Mm-hmm. Like Craigslist took classifieds yeah. out of the paper, put it online. And that's when these places started to hollow out. Like Mark Zuckerberg didn't like, like wield the original sword that like killed these places. It didn't help, but people need yeah. to talk about Craigslist more. John, Good to see you, buddy. Say hi to the war shows for me. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. 
If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.